Welcome back after a long hiatus to State of Emergency. I'm Peter Schorsch. With me is my co-host, Jared Moskowitz, former director of the Division of Emergency Management uh, for the state of Florida. There has certainly been a lot of emergencies. Jared, you're involved in a personal emergency yourself this morning, uh, and it's going to guide the, uh, the timing of this first pod. Yes, the length of time of this first pod will be brought to you by the colonoscopy procedure that I'm having tomorrow. So we'll see how long I can sit in this chair. That will depend. That will dictate how long this pod goes today. Uh, that's not my dog, but maybe that's a dog upset. No, nope, that's, that's the colonoscopy talking. That's what that is. <laughs> um, so just to fill everyone in, um, a lot has happened, and we're going to talk about everything that kind of has happened. You know, anybody that follows me on Facebook or Twitter knows that uh, my family has dealt with a, a health emergency with my wife, um, and uh, she is on the road to recovery, but it, it has gone on for about six weeks, and it really um, it knocked us off course, uh, knocked this podcast off course, and all of my energy uh, was devoted to taking care of Michelle, um, so we appreciate it. So here's the 2.0 version of State of Emergency. It's just Jared and I talking because there is so much to talk about. We'll be back with guests next week. And Jared's been on me to, you've been on me basically to get this pod going. So I'm glad that you've, you've, uh, you've stuck with it. No, I, you know, look, well, first of all, how, how is your wife doing? Uh, you know, she's good. I mean, when I look at it, you know, month over month, you know, we were, we were in a very dark place, you know, this time in July. Now, you know, the fact that she got to sit with Ella, uh, for back to school activities yesterday and braid her hair, um, is an enormous, uh, an enormous miracle, uh, nothing short of it. So, uh, we felt a lot of prayers from everybody around us, a lot of support, a lot of people that are listening to this, I owe them a debt of gratitude uh, because we did hit that wall in terms of emotionally and there were some, you know, there were some long days and nights. And so getting to speak to a lot of the people who, you know, that, you know, Jared, you and I both know we've worked with a lot of them and they were there, you know, you know, I think you and I, you know, like Lauren book, who's been on our pod, uh, you know, she was just, she was just very, very helpful, very supportive through all of it. And there was like, there was honestly, I kept telling Michelle, I don't think you understand how loved you are um, and that you needed to be, she, you know, I'm going to, uh, it'll probably be the first time, it won't be the last time I cry on this pod, but it's like how loved she was uh, and is, and, you know, just trying to get her through it. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a very, it, and now I'll say this, she still has a long road to haul. Like, you know, like when you go that down into the health hole, you know, 64, 40 blood pressure, uh, you know, a sub 90 body temperature. Uh, you're not Lazarus, but you're certainly building your back, building yourself back from something um, that just kind of wiped her out. So she's still working on strength, um, you know, just very, you know, not a lot of energy, uh, not a lot of appetite. She's got, you know, some bags still connected to her and things like that. And so she's, she still has a long road to haul. Well, look, I know we're all still uh, praying for her. Um, you know, she obviously is a fighter. Uh, your updates uh, were, uh, you know, everyone was hanging on every word of your updates. So we're, we're happy to hear, uh, obviously, that uh, she's doing better. 
but also that uh, you know the 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 amount is on a caretaker yourself. Uh, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress uh, on the family. You you don't find out who your true friends are in life uh, until you go through a real family emergency. At least I have found. You know, I want to do something with it all. Um, it it does reprioritize things. It does, you know, it's like I kept, I had some friends over early on and I, I was like kind of like coming up with a motto for it and was, you know, no more stupid shit. Um, and, you know, a lot of what I do, you know, in the blog and, you know, Twitter and so forth, um, and this will probably be a good segue into some of the issues of the day, but it's just like, you know, I'm just tired of dealing with some of the stupid shit. I'm, I'm tired of the politicians who um, are not serious about serious issues. Um, I don't mind you being on the opposite edge of me, um, but I do, you know, the, the Anthony Sabatini's, the Greg Stubies, um, you know, the people on the, the left who, you know, I don't, there isn't as many in Florida just because there isn't as many elected officials, but just, you know, people that send out the stupid fundraising emails with the, the five times match because Nancy Pelosi is going to come take your guns and, and all that happy horse shit. Yeah. You, know, you don't, you're not, you're not interested in politics for entertainment. You're not looking for, for entertainers or people that want to join a circus. You're interested in politics for people who are serious. Exactly. And um, so I, I, I say that all now, you know, and I'll probably be back in a Twitter battle with somebody over something very tangential. This um, afternoon, more than likely. This more, <laughs> by the time this posts. But right now, it's very much a no more stupid shit. I'll say this also. I really kind of I kinda can't wait to see what Michelle does with all this. You know, maybe October, November when she's back at her full strength. Um, I think she's had, you know, that she she feels very she feels very guilty that she came this close to leaving Ella and I and I think she just I think she you know I think she feels like she does have a little bit of a larger purpose like for people that don't know all of this started with you know basically her doctors not listening to her on women's issues she spoke about that wrote about that just as she was getting ready to go into surgery and so many people did come forward uh, and talk to her and, and, and message her and say, you know, the same thing's happening to me. I've been going to my gynecologist for 10 years. They're not hearing what I'm saying. And then lo and behold, you know, I've got a, a, a lump here. I've got a cyst there or something like that. And so I think that there is going to be uh, an advocacy, a greater sense of advocacy um, uh, out of Michelle. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what she does with um with her next uh, stage of not her career, but just, you know, who she is. Well, we look forward to it. We look forward to her recovery uh, and we look forward to hearing her, you know, struggle and battle through, you know, her experience because everyone's vantage point, I'm sure through that, Peter, is a, is a different lens. Um, all right, Peter, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to get to first? I mean, I think since, you know, we haven't talked in a, in a while, um, you know, we should talk a little about you know, what happened in Surfside and what we think perhaps will come out of that maybe going into the next legislative session. What do you think? I, I, li I would like to start with Surfside because it is kind of where we left off. It was a, a reminder, you know, I think what's happening here, and I hate to say it is, Jesus, people are 
you know, uh, I, there should be, I should have a bumper st sticker that says something like, you know, like, um, uh, you know, do you miss Jared yet? Uh, and it's no reflection on the current people or not yet. I won't get into that, but it's, we, we really didn't know what kind of, um, good and decent job you were doing. Um, and all these emergencies that come up and I'm not, and the, the response to Surfside was, was amazing, but it just goes to show you what a good job you've done. So let's start with Surfside. I'd love to hear, you know, your insiders, you know, perspective on something like that. What, what is it, you know, what is the state's responsibility there? You know, what, is, what, is, what is it supposed to do? Cause there was a little bit of back and forth at the beginning and there, and there always is in a human tragedy that not enough is being done. But then, you know, people are like, hey, we're doing as much as we can do. Um, and so walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I was there uh, the next day after the collapse uh, with the new director, Kevin Guthrie. And I was there for, for a couple of days uh, because I, I knew one of the aspects of what we were about to witness had some similarities to what happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, mm -hmm. in which there were going to be families that were going to be waiting for answers and that we were going to get a lot of bad news. Um, and so, you know, these families in Surfside wound up waiting weeks, quite frankly, which is an unimaginable time when you're waiting for answers. Uh, but, you know, look, there was a lot that came out of Surfside that gave me a lot of hope uh, that a community could still band together, uh, that politicians uh, could still band together. Uh, you know, we got to see the governor and the president uh, and the mayor of Dade County all work together uh, for a month. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, it was a seamless operation. Uh, and uh, it gave me hope that it just goes to show you that when something when there is a tragedy that doesn't have any politics involved, uh, that everyone can be on the same team and pull together. I mean, that is a human tragedy, Peter, that I don't understand. I don't, I was, I remember the value jet crash, uh, but I was obviously very young when that happened. This, this was like an airplane crashing and, and no one surviving. I mean, that's what it looked like. That's what it felt like, except it was obviously a building coming down. Uh, what will come out of this is unclear. You know, I, I tell people that the reason why we got the Marjorie Stillman Douglas bill, because of Parkland, you know, wasn't just my efforts or the family's efforts or the kids' efforts that came up to Tallahassee. It was because we were also in session when it happened. The legislature could not escape. You know, this is now going to be, you know, eight months until they're, they're back in session. Uh, will it still be topical? Will it still be something that they're willing to get into, you know, the condominium code and make make some changes. But the idea that a building would collapse in Miami to this significance, which is really a third world issue. And we're finding out obviously that maybe the building had problems from the beginning and and issues with the inspections. I mean, that that will all those will have to go to the experts. We'll have to see, you know, what culminated. But we've had other buildings evacuated. We have other other buildings in Dade County be deemed not safe. And so, you know, we've not seen the last of this issue. There, there will be a legacy from this building collapsing in Dade County, but I'm not sure yet if the state is going to take uh, any further action. Is it, and, you know, when I see something like this, um, you kind of debate, is it a tragedy or is it a phenomenon, you know, and it's, and 
and unfortunately, um, you know, the, I don't want to make less of anyone dying, but is this a one-off? I mean, or are there, do you think that there are other ticking time bombs out there? Because, I mean, I can't even imagine, um, like, you know, I, I remember that Paul Greengrass movie about Flight 93, about 9-11, you know, and they had, you know, they had time before they died, and, and that was what the movie was about, and they got to charge the the, the cockpit. I can't imagine. I, I just can't even put it together in my head. You're literally sleeping. You have seconds, and then a building collapses on you. You don't even have time to comprehend your own loss and devastation. You don't have time to say your last prayers. I mean, it isn't even like you're being robbed at gunpoint or even a heart attack. It's that tragic. Um, and so... I, I, is it a one-off though? Is it, or do you think that we have a real problem in South Florida with some of these buildings, you know, going up in the seventies and eighties when developers held even more sway than they do now and were able to get through? Like, I, I think one thing that stuck out to me, and and you tell me if I'm wrong, but there was some uh, addendum to the plans made that allowed for the penthouse to be much bigger, the penthouse floor to be much bigger, and therefore it added to the weight, and then that may have uh, increased the ability for the building to collapse where it did. Uh, and I imagine if they did that in one building, I'm sure that other developers did that in other buildings throughout South Florida. And so what's your sense of how big a problem this is? Uh, I think there are other ticking time bombs out there, but but I don't want to alarm people that I think we have some large issue. I mean, let's be honest, we have a lot of old buildings up and down the coast of Florida. The idea that there's not one other building out there that is in a similar situation just does not make mathematical sense. So, you know, hopefully we can have some sort of unified approach on how we're going to treat aging buildings to make sure they're in a state of repair and not a state of disrepair. Uh, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see what the appetite is uh, in the state house. And that's what I'll, I'm looking at. I'm looking at the state house. I think the Senate would probably be poised to do something, um, you know, but, but you know, look, you got Senator Pizzo there who was on site every single day and, and I, and, you know, Senator Simpson who came down, I'm sure, you know, there might be some appetite in the Senate and, and the Speaker of the House came down as well to see it. But the question is just going to be what, what kind of appetite is there in the House, which we know happens to be uh, a lot more conservative these days uh, than than the Senate, but I got it, Peter. There there are empty chairs and empty tables. They there are families that will never heal, that will never have answers. Uh, the shooting in Parkland is still with us today. It is still something that lingers and hangs over us. It's still something that's discussed regularly. That will be the same thing in Surfside for a long time. It's a small community uh, to have a national tragedy and it was a national tragedy that's how many lives were lost there um you know that's not something that that community is going to heal from for for a long time um i'll give you the opportunity who are some of the heroes here of the response um you know i'm going to just give you know i'm going to give my main man jimmy p uh you know chief patronus was you know, Giuliani-esque, you know, or this is the good Giuliani, the 2001 Giuliani. I felt like he was down there. I felt like he was a moral support to the firefighters who, you know, you read the one story about the firefighter who found his daughter, uh, who, who searched for his daughter there. But I just felt like um, he was consistent, you know, that for the 
couple of weeks and he remains consistent in in his advocacy um you know because he wears that chief um you know fire marshal hat who are some of the other uh heroes in the response um to surfside yeah well look there's no doubt that uh jimmy patronus did a fantastic job i told him that several times when i was down there personally that when these tragedies happen you there are people this is not why you ran for office jimmy right this is not what you had in mind uh never did you think you'd be dealing with something like this but elected officials they either either rise to the occasion or they falter uh and and jimmy clearly rose to the occasion we know he's a he's an emotional guy so we know what kind of toll this took on him personally but those guys those first responders were lucky to have him there uh because he was not only their leader but their cheerleader he did a fantastic job senator pizzo did a fantastic job this is his district he was there every single day uh senator book did a really good job she was helping a lot of kids write letters to the families um the mayor of dade county who was still in you know her first you know six seven months in office um did an unbelievable job leading her community through this disaster. I can't tell you what it's like to live a disaster every day. And I don't want to bring up Parkland again, but it's my only analogy that I have because I lived that personally. I lived that every single solitary minute, hour, moment for a month. And um, the mayor did such a good job uh, being that local leader, communicating with the families, giving answers when we could. Uh, it was just extremely impressive uh, for for a new mayor, and I think it will define her entire political career. That's how I felt uh, after after dealing with Parkland. And the last person I I, I want to mention is I think the governor did a great job, and. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a specific example where I think the governor did a great job. I, when I heard that the president was coming, it was unclear to me how that would all go down because of just the hyper-partisan world we live in today. And quite frankly, because we all remember the Charlie Crist hug and the Chris Christie handshake hug. And, and for those two people, that became part of their political story thereafter within their own party. And it became uh, a negative that they, that they embraced the other party during a, during a moment. Um, and so I was concerned that that would be the advice that he would be given. Uh, but the governor rose to the occasion, provided the leadership necessary uh, to show a unified front with the president, thank the president for the resources. And I think that is so important, Peter, not just for the community at Surfside, the families, the first responders, all the volunteers, uh, not just the county, not just the state, but I think it was important to show people that we can still do big things together uh, when a major tragedy happens. I, I, it, I was, it's been unclear to me since COVID if we could have another 9-11 moment and that was much smaller, obviously, but that was Florida's 9-11 moment in that uh, people could come together for the benefit of the community.
um, let us in on the inside a little bit. Did you, um, did you, um, did you do any shuttle diplomacy there um, between uh, Biden camp and DeSantis to make that, to make that all happen? Well, look, I'm always doing shuttle diplomacy uh, every day, all day in all sorts of different ways, but no, no, no. The governor uh, gets the credit. The governor uh, clearly decided that this was so important. Look, I often, I'll tell this story and, and I'll make the comparison. You don't see these things and come out the same person. You just don't. Okay. When, when I brought Richard Corcoran, Speaker Corcoran at the time to go see the school after Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And, uh, and then, and I was, it was me, Speaker Corcoran and, and Carlos Trujillo, who was the chairman of appropriations. They came the next day after the shooting to see the bullet holes in, in the windows, to see the backpacks piled up outside, to see the homework all over the floor, to see, you know, where people had, had died, you know, when they dragged themselves out of the building. And, and, and they, the people were, they were crying. Uh, you know, they were affected uh, because they were seeing it in person. TV kind of desensitized that. And when you got to see it, you could tell it had an impact. Every elected official we brought to the building had the same reaction. Uh, Senator Galvano, President Galvano, um, sorry, it was Senator Galvano at the time, uh, Senator Simpson was there, a bunch of others, the same reaction. Uh, and I think for the governor, uh, this was that moment. You don't see something like this. You don't see all of these first responders working, you know, in unimaginable conditions, trying to get through the pile to save lives you, and, and, and come out the other way. So I, I, in my opinion, I think the governor realized that this was just something that had to be done and that uh, he wasn't going to let the politics of today infect the leadership that was necessary to get the community through this moment. All right, let's move. Uh, I don't want to say move on because, but that's kind of what happened in a lot of ways. Um, and isn't that what happens with these situations where, you know, they garner attention and then eventually the national news fades, um, the local TV stations fade. And then, you know, what we're left with is, um, you know, just, you know, the obituaries. And I think, I think it's interesting now. I think yesterday we had our first major offer for the Surfside property. It's a reminder that, you know, this is a, this is waterfront condo uh, or waterfront property in South Florida. You know, what do you do with it? And, you know, I know some people, some of the families wanted as a memorial. Some of the people who live there are like, hey, wait a second, we paid to live here. We can't afford to live other places, you know, um, insurance claims. And it's, uh, it reminds me, it reminds me a lot of 9-11, you know, where, you know, you had the most valuable real estate in the world, um, but yet it was uh, a place of unspeakable tragedy. And so um, that's an interesting, I think, angle to this. I think everything though has been, you know, overshadowed by, you know, this fourth surge of COVID. Um, I, you know, I think for disclosure's sake, uh, it sounds like you've got a new gig though, beyond this podcast, you got to pay the bills. And so before we get into COVID, what are you well, doing yeah, now? Because for some, for some reason, my check from Florida politics has not arrived. So I've had to take other employment at the moment. 
<laughs> You're not the only one uh, who's checked. Um, what do you do? We saw you, um, you, not you landed your first client because God knows what you're really working on, but you took on a big role um, for Miami-Dade, correct? Yeah, you know, the mayor and I had, had been talking all through Surfside and, and obviously as the surge started, I mean, look, uh, you know, she decided to bring me on. I'm, I'm happy to be part uh, of her team and, and to help the county and, and the county commissioners and the community and the county staff. I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, this is close to my home, right? I mean, I left Tallahassee because I wanted to be with my kids. Uh, you know, I got a seven-year-old and four-year-old. It was just too much time away. So this is allowing me to use the experience I got, uh, unfortunately got, uh, fighting COVID as the director to help uh, help out Dade County. The good news for Dade County is we're in a much better spot than Dade County was last year because of the vaccine. Dade County is 78% vaccinated. Yeah. And as a result of being so vaccinated, uh, we're not uh, having the same sort of problems that some of our fellow counties that aren't as vaccinated. So all that work that we did when I was the director uh, all the work that the mayor did in Dade County to get people vaccinated uh, is paying off uh, for Dade County. That doesn't mean it's not an emergency down there. It doesn't mean we don't have people in the hospital. It doesn't mean that we're, we're not treating it and talking about it and planning every single solitary day. Uh, but the good news for Dade County uh, is that it is different than last year uh, because uh, of the vaccine. Well, I mean, the whole... This whole fourth surge is different. Um, you know, Miami-Dade is vaccinated and much of Florida is vaccinated. This is, as everybody has said, I mean, the, the phrase is, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And I I was reminded, even with, I mean, that we still only have 50% of Americans fully vaccinated at this point. You know, in a country of 310 million people, give or take, that leaves a substantial amount Um you know, I think the number is actually 80 to million adults, uh, you know, not counting children, obviously, that do not have the vaccine. And, you know, it's like, imagine, you know, this is a forest fire and you've, you've, you know, you've saved half of the state's forest, but the other half can burn just as easily. And, you know, damn it, it's burning. I mean, and I will say, like, I had a perspective like I've never had, and that was being in the ICU with Michelle and being surrounded uh, by an ICU unit that was being inundated in North Pinellas County, which again, is pretty heavily vaccinated. Um, and as I'm walking through the ICU to get to Michelle's room, I'm looking into the windows or looking through the windows of the other guest room, which I, I stopped myself from doing after a while because I was so horrified. I just saw patient after patient laying on their chest uh, hoping that gravity would pull the the disease, the phlegm out of them, and then when they weren't doing that, they were they were like popped like uh, like a shrimp in a way uh, from an intubated tube, um, and it was it was it was like a scene out of a horror movie. Um, I had not seen that, you know. I obviously I stayed pretty locked down, and so you know it. I wrote about this, and it really it. I don't know why it took me so long to get to this point, but it just, you know, the fact that my wife was in between two COVID positive patients and was having to split nurses and there was a nursing shortage 
and there's traveling nurses there and the ICU doctors are able to spend less time with her because the person next to her is a 45 year old person who um, should have been vaccinated and decided. And I'll say this, the person who filled Michelle's bed after she left was somebody who was anti-vax and still was denying that COVID was a real thing, even though they were in the ICU. Um, and so I have, I, I was already strongly pro-mask, pro-vaccination, but I will say the last month has clearly changed that. Um, well, I, I don't even know where, I don't even know where to wrap my hands around this whole thing, because I think once you, you try to argue one point, it seems like the other side, uh, you know, pulls up some, like, abstract data point to, you know, take it away. So I'm just gonna ask you, you are as much an authority as we have in the state on it. What is the state of Florida? Where are we at in this surge right now? So it looks like if you look at the data from the last couple of days that we've plateaued. Okay. Now, what does that mean? That means that the positivity rate seems to be pretty flat. Now, the question is how long do we plateau for before we come down, right? Some of the modeling is showing that, yeah, maybe we haven't plateaued. Maybe the surge will continue to the 18th and then the 18th of, uh, of August. UF has a study that shows that and then it'll come down. But at least some of the data I'm showing is it looks like we're plateauing. But do we stay there for a week? Do we stay there for two weeks? Do we stay there only for a couple of days before we start to see the decline? What I'm concerned about, Peter, is I'm concerned about the high schools. Now, a lot of some of the some of the students are vaccinated, which is which is excellent. Um, but I'm concerned about the high schools because of the high positivity in the community. Let's be clear: we have massive community transmission of COVID at the moment, 15% positivity, higher in a lot other areas, uh, and so we we have community transmission. High school kids, they're in cars together, you know, they're hugging, they're in close proximity, they're, they think they're, they're doing more than hugging if they're in high school. I've seen Footloose. Yes, yes, I, I understand. But I, I was trying to give the PG rated version for our conservative listeners. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, you know, they, they bring, they're going to bring COVID home, they're going to give it to their parents, they might give it to the younger siblings. And so now that schools are restarting, I think we have a, a period of about seven to 10 days to watch uh, to see if we stay plateaued or if there's another spike based on schools restarting. Schools were not vectors in, when we dealt with al alpha last year. They weren't. Uh, but are they going to be vectors because of how much more transmissible Delta is? While breakthrough cases are not the norm, there are still a, a significant amount of breakthrough cases. My wife, uh, who got vaccinated as soon as she could, got COVID. Uh, and while she was, she's okay, she got flu-like symptoms for a couple of days and obviously quarantined for, for 10 days. Me and the kids, you know, separated ourselves from her. We did not get COVID. I now know a number of breakthrough cases of friends. Jesus, of who took care of the house then? I mean, I can't even, I mean, it's not like you did I anything. Did. I, I, oh. I, I took care of the house. I can't. The kids. I, don't know how to, the, I mean, those. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to do dishes. No, well, well, hold on, hold on. I mean, I did have help. I did have. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I can do dishes. I mean, I lived by myself for two and a half years in Tallahassee. Okay. If I can take care of the state, I can, I can do dishes. By the uh, way, I, I can't explain to you how much I've learned all the things that Michelle does 
anybody that's an asshole and it's just like, you know, do you work? And like, Michelle's like, no, I don't work. I take care of the kids or, you know, whatever, however we poorly phrase that, like, it is just, I would never uh, listen. Uh, I, people who say they're a stay-at-home mom and that's a job. Not only is that correct, it's the toughest job. Period. It I is. Would not, it, that's not right to say want, it. It really is. It really is. I would not want to trade places. Like if you said this is, I would not want to trade places with a stay-at-home mom. That job is. Ex I did it for ten days, uh, and mm -hmm. I was ready. I was ready to to literally enlist in the army just to leave. So I I had to. Uh, I think I told Ella like one night, I'm like, and I didn't mean it like in the global sense. I'm just like, I'm done parenting. And it was like, I meant it like just the day, like I was done and she was so sad. Uh, and she and I did become so close over this last like five weeks, but she thought I was like done parenting in general. And I'm like, no, I'm just like, I, I just, I don't know how your mother does it. Like, I just don't know how, where she finds, the and the ability to be creative and loving the energy. and nurturing. How about the energy? It's the energy. It's incredible. It really is. Okay. Okay. So, go back. <laughs> I'm sorry. For, I, so, I, I, no, no. Of course. So you know. So anyway. So you know, we really got to see what what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks with school starting. But but I'm I am worried about the high schools. I think the high schools will be a really good test case if it's not spreading in the high schools. <clears throat> we don't see a bump from the high schools, then I think that'll be telling with the middle uh, and, and, the and the elementary as well. So that, that's what I wanna pay attention to. But look, it's not just in Florida, it's happening in Texas obviously as well. Uh, and it's also happening in California. Uh, it's happening in other places in the Sun Belt, even though the, the media likes to focus just on Florida and Texas. I wonder why they like to focus just on Florida and Texas. It is happening other places. Uh, and look, we're going to have to see if the same thing happens this winter in the north, which is what happened last year. We spiked in the summer, and then the winter came, and then the north spiked again. They had an increase. And so while there Maybe is... Maybe it has to do with that's when people go inside? I mean... Well, let's, let's be clear. When, when we're pumping the air conditioning, and they're in the north pumping the heat, and people yeah. go inside, there is definitely an issue to that. So when we say there's a cyclical issue or a seasonal issue... What we really mean is it's behavioral with seasonal, right? The behavior is what's similar. Here, we all go indoors because of the air conditioning because it's so hot in Florida or in Texas. In the north, they're all gonna go indoors because when the winter when winter comes. So that's the seasonal behavioral thing uh, that we see. It's not necessarily seasonal that the virus perhaps is seasonal. Yeah, it doesn't come out just because it's not a flower. Um, you know, it's not seedlings or something like that. It is. You know what when we go inside and that's why europe is in a different track europe i know it like you know europe is not i mean i know that we're even but i always remind people like europe is a little bit cooler all the time and so you know they're not their summers come a little bit differently their winters come a little bit differently and it tracks with that as well i i guess as long okay, Peter, so as long as 30 plus 35 plus percent of this country doesn't take the vaccine. And I'm not convinced uh, that we're gonna see more people take the vaccine. If Delta, if Delta doesn't convince people to take the vaccine, communications plans uh, are not gonna convince to people to take the vaccine. This is going to be the, the, the new flu. And what I mean by that is they're both coronaviruses 
and we're we're going to have to live with it, right? This is going to be something that's going to we're not curing COVID-19, right? We're not going to COVID-19 is not going to become polio where it doesn't exist and when it pops up we're like, "Oh, look, there's a couple of cases over there." This is going to be something that is going to be around and we're not going to eradicate it. And so we have to start figuring out how we live with it. That doesn't mean we're not going to do mitigation measures when we have spikes. We have to. We have to try to contain it. But this is not going away if in this country we cannot get the majority, overwhelming majority of people to take the vaccine. Remember when the experts told us in order to get herd immunity, we needed, you know, 80 plus percent of the people right. to take the vaccine? Well, it turns out they were correct. Uh, well, and I... You know, I can't believe we're not looking at it from the Donald, Donald Rumsfeld, you know, we don't know what we don't know argument, which is, you know. There are many unknown unknowns. Well, I mean, what happens when we get to Epsilon and Gamda and, and, and Upsilon and, you well, know, quite whatever frankly, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for them to combine. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the, you know, Delta Gamma Sigma, right, you know, together uh, where, where you get it at, you know, two in the morning at a party. <laughs> and then I, I i mean we joke but it's like that is how variants are created is if you give it to a large enough pool in of people in different you know um uh yeah california conditions ca yeah california already has delta plus uh we have a new florida variant here very that that's very limited uh because is that the, the one from columbia well no that's lambda that's lambda okay so you got you got Lambda, uh, which is around. That's not just Florida specific, but then we have a, a specific strain of Delta that has developed been developed in Florida uh, because of all the community transmission. So these variants are going to continue to grow uh, and form when you have massive amounts of community transmission. And it is only a matter of time until we get a variant that can break through the vaccine completely. So that's why you know, it's so important to try to starve off this virus as much as we can. Uh, but it's only going to happen uh, if if somehow the misinformation that people are absorbing stops. Okay, uh, let's pull some punches here or not pull some punches. Um, how do you rate the governor's response right now? Well, I mean, listen, you know, I think the answer to that ultimately is, is that the governor's approach is that we, tr we have to figure out how to live with this. Uh, and he's trying to, you know, not have this cycle of hysteria that goes on. You know, that being said, I'm, because I was the former director of emergency management, I'm partial to obviously my department. The division of emergency management is built for speed. We're built for these sort of events. So obviously I'd like to see the division you know, involved because I know what good work we did previously and I know uh, the people in that room are, are itching to help. That being said, Peter, right now, there is no drain in resources. Here's, here's what I mean. What I mean is, is that if, you know, the two things that, that are going on that we have plenty of, we have plenty of PPE, not a problem. There's three warehouses full uh, of, of PPE. Uh, there are plenty of rapid tests available. We have 3 million Binex now rapid tests uh, available to hand out to cities and counties. Um, the oxygen, there is plenty of oxygen available. 
Uh, there were issues about getting the delivery of that oxygen, but anybody who needs high flow nasal cannular oxygen in the state of Florida is getting it. There's nobody that's not receiving it. Same thing with ventilators. Anyone who needs a ventilator is getting a ventilator. So, you know, the question really is, is even if there was a state of emergency, what more would be happening? Quite frankly, it would be the, it would be the dollars. Uh, the state comes with the checkbook. They would be picking up the cost for a lot of cities and counties. But listen, between CARES Act, the American Rescue Plan, and now a lot of the testing vaccination companies billing insurance, the cost to cities and counties has been diminished significantly as well. And so if you asked me, you know, if there was a state of emergency, what more would that be doing? I don't know that there would be any additional resources uh, going to the fight than there currently are available. Uh, things might be happening a little quicker because the division is built for speed, um, you know, and that's, and that's what they do. Um, but, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the, what we're going to see hopefully is that this declines in the next couple of days or weeks, we start coming down that plateau. Obviously on masks, you know where I stand on that. This is not breaking news. I'm for masks. Uh, you know, I, my kids will be in masks when they go to school. I tell people there are three tools in the toolbox. Vaccinations, tool number one. Testing, because we can identify and isolate, tool number two. And masks are tool number three. Those are the only three tools in the toolbox. We're not closing down, uh, uh, you know, society again. So those are the only three tools in the toolbox. So to remove tool number three, especially for kids two to 11 who don't get the benefit of vaccines, tool number one, you know, we're basically playing COVID roulette uh, if kids two through 11 uh, can't, you know, can't I love wear a mask. So, well, not, um, with, not with COVID, Peter. Uh, no. So, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's how I feel. That's how, you know, where, where I, where I stand at the moment. I, um, so I'm no, you know, one of the things going back to the top, you know, no more stupid shit. Um, I, I don't like the governor's response. Uh, I no longer like it. I think that the balance that you provided and that Shane Strum provided that those safeguards are clearly off. Um, I think he does have a change in those around him. I think you have to look at things at the long haul. I think like, I'll start with number one, like, why don't we have a surgeon general who is a leader out front and in a public face of this and helping? Scott Rivkeys could be the most brilliant uh, medical professional in the world. No one would ever know it. Um, and so I don't know why we have that position. I believe DeSantis got boxed in on Rivkeys early on, didn't want to back down. He's stubborn. The harassment issues about Rivkeys came forward. He should, I don't think he should have been put into that position given his split time between that and UF. We should have had a more active uh, Surgeon General. I think that that's a, a major problem. I think that the um, the communication that he has, um, you know, about masking, about vaccination, leaves a lot to be desired. This is a person who did not get a vaccine in public. If you look at his public schedule over the last week, at the height of the surge, you know, he is doling out one thousand dollar checks in Escambia County. There have been very little um, uh, pandemic related events. I don't see. You know, we had a roundtable. Um, that was basically um, what it, uh, 
Potemkin uh, village or it was, you know, it was just, it was, it was, um, it was theater. Um, even though there were some good people on there, there was nobody that was going to push back against the governor. Um, I think that there are a lot of other problems that are just not there now that he doesn't have a, a, a Shane Strom ginning up the day and a Jared Moskowitz at DEM, you know, helping provide, you know, wingman coverage there. Um, I think that he is, I think he has, I think number one, it is reflected in his approval rating. You know, whether or not he's going to win re-election is one thing, but the fact that he's dropped somewhere between 15 to 18 points in a matter of months shows that there has been an enormous loss of confidence in his leadership. Um, and it seems like he doesn't really care about that. I, I know that he wants to say he doesn't believe in polls or anything like that. I think he's in a very bad position, a very bad state. I think it could get worse for him. Uh, I think it all it takes is one, one uh, tragedy away, um, you know, and I think that it could be an even more uh, difficult position. I think that his arguments with the White House, um, while that I, I get the, I get the uh, Y act, the Y and X axis here. The more he, more popular is he is with Republicans, the less popular he is overall with the state of Florida, and he has maxed out in popularity to Republicans. And with that, he has really lost some of the independents. Um, he was never going to get the Democrats, but the idea of where he was 18 months ago, 66% approval rating, Ron DeSantis, or uh, John Morgan by his side, uh, you know, signing environmental legislation, that guy has long since left the building. I think it's only going to get worse as we go into 2022. I do think that not only will this wave plateau longer than, you know, you read more than I do, but I do read a pretty good amount. I think it's going to take another couple of weeks, you know. I think the my number one thing is uh, is the overall lack of empathy and compassion. That's something I've harped on again and again. Yesterday, nearly 25,000 Floridians were reported to have contracted the disease. That is 25,000 people who are scared shitless right now. It doesn't matter whether or not, I mean, it does matter, but regardless of whether or not they are going to die or whether or not they are in a hospital, whether or not they are a breakthrough case, whether or not they are Republican or Democrat, I spoke with one of our very good friends that we both know who has COVID right now. They describe it to me, and it's a breakthrough case. They describe it to me every morning. It feels like an elephant is sitting on my chest. Um, and that is, a, that is somebody who's vaccinated, so they sh are having a less of a case. Every person, and I experienced this the other day. There's also, of course, um, you know, a, a lovely 24-hour flu blog that's running around Pinellas County and I think other places. Ella Joyce was sick for a few moments. She had interacted with one of our friends who was COVID positive. I had to test her. I thought she was, you know, she had diarrhea. She was throwing up. She was getting a little bit of a fever. Is she going to, is, is my, is my eight-year-old daughter going to be uh, positive for coronavirus? And in that I was, I, you know, I was so afraid. There is no mention. There is none of the sympathy that we saw at Surfside. There is nothing there um, for any of the people. For anybody that has any hardship from this, um, there's not one moment, there's not meeting with an ICU ward, there's not meeting with frontline workers, nurses, doctors, et cetera, with recovered patients, with nursing homes, with people that have lost anybody, the nearly 40,000 people, it is a, it, he is a heartless governor. Um, and, you know, do I know if he's going to win a re-election or not? No, but he has certainly jeopardized his cases, his, his chances of winning by what I feel is nothing less than a, uh, a heartless, uh, cold-hearted 
uh, response to this pandemic. So, I, so look, I think there's a there's a lot in there, Peter. Um, yeah. So so I mean, he, here's here's what I would say to that. You know, so first, I I think uh, I see both sides to this, and what I mean both sides is the both sides of the politics that's unfortunately going on. So you know, I I don't. While I think the numbers will be affected, I don't think that there's going to be some sort of meteoric drop. And the only reason I say that is, unfortunately, we've seen in today's politics, a year is a lifetime in politics. So I think the bigger issue, quite frankly, is if the surge were happening, if the surge we're seeing right now, if this happens again next July and August, a couple of months before the election, I think that uh, that will be a defining moment into into November, one way or another. Um, it's unclear to me how much of uh, what's happening now will affect it. That's one of my thoughts. A second thought I have is, I actually think the White House is doing the governor a tremendous service by picking a fight with him. Um, and, and that's because they're putting him on the same playing field of prep with the president. When the president of the United States is fighting with a particular governor, calling him out, it elevates that governor. This is what, you know, the media did with Donald Trump. They elevated him, not intentionally so, but it was an indirect sort of uh, repercussion that came out of that elevation. In a Republican primary, the fact that Joe Biden has taken on Ron DeSantis, that is helpful to Ron DeSantis. And that is how uh, I think they're viewing that that situation. Uh, that's a good point. I don't. I, I. I can't say. You know, it's it's an argument. Is he Scott Walker? Is he uh, Tim Pawlenty? Or is he a different breed? I, you know, it's it to me his big issue. Well, I want to get to kids. Go ahead. I, go ahead. Go I, ahead. Go I, ahead. Go I, ahead. I, I do think that there is a third rail in COVID, and there has been a third rail in COVID since the beginning, and that is kids. I always felt that. If parents got scared for their children and they had anxiety for their kids, that all bets were off and that some of the political lines that exist yeah. in some of the stuff would start to blur. And I think we're starting to see some of that data coming in. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at Lee County, Lee County, red Lee County, only 12% of the parents there opted out of the mask mandate. If you look at Orange County, Orange County, only 4% of the parents opted out of the mask mandate. If you look at Duval County, only 5% of the parents opted out of the mask mandate in Duval County. As school starts to reopen and we can see the data of parents deciding to either opt in or opt out, opt-in is basically automatic. You have to opt out. If we, if the data shows that the overwhelming majority of parents are not opting out, 85%, 90% of parents are not opting out, then at the end of the day, the calculation on masks for children was different than the politics and calculation on masks for adults. And I think that is going to be a telling issue that as the data is coming in, that could be a third rail. And we'll see if the if it was a miscalculation at the end of the day. Okay, 
we went a little bit longer than usual, or is the usual that we go longer? I know you have your uh, your issues uh, with your butt that you got to go take care of. Um, no, you didn't have to say it. They got it when we talked colonoscopy. If anyone had to Google where that where that procedure is, then then obviously that's fine. But yes, Peter, that's where where they do a colonoscopy. <laughs> um, do we want to close with an ask me anything um, with, with each other? I mean, is that a, I still love that feature because I thought we had some good answer or some good questions from people. Um, sure, you, you want to go first. Let's go. You you go first. <laughs> uh, how do you think Nikki Fried's doing right now uh, in terms of um, running for governor? Her response this week. Uh, give her. Give me a letter grade on how you think the last 10 days have been for Nikki Freed's 2022 prospects. I think the last 10 days, Nikki gets an A, quite frankly, from a political standpoint. Uh, uh, and, 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 and the reason I say that is, I think Nikki, had, you know, who obviously has been going after the governor on COVID for a while, it, some, sometimes in my opinion, uh, incorrectly so, uh, just being just just you know with may have been wrong on a particular critique, uh, but I do think this masks in schools issue has given her a larger voice, a larger audience. I think she has uh, uh, has put herself out as by far his largest his largest critic, and if that's what Democrats are looking for, and it's not clear to me that they are yet, then then I think she. Uh, she she gets that mantle. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, the opposite question for for in the opposite way, which is, uh, how do you think former Governor uh, Charlie Chris uh, has handled the last ten days? What letter grade would you give that campaign? I'd probably give it a B. Um, I think that they have smartly stayed out of the way. Um, that they have not done anything gratuitous. Um, or opportunistic, which, you know, is, is sometimes hard to resist, um, you know, in, in this, you know, Charlie, you know, Charlie doesn't have kids, uh, you know, Charlie's not married, um, you know, I, he's right to be critical, but I, I don't know, I, I think he has been appropriately off grid. I don't want to give him an A because I'm still concerned about his fundraising. I'm still concerned, obviously, about both his and Nikki's fundraising. As in terms well, of well, there is no to... fundraising. Well, I mean, let's be let's be clear for both campaigns, right? I mean, both campaigns, both are struggling in fundraising, big time. They are. They are. They're. I mean, five hundred thousand dollars barely keeps the lights on. Um, it's obviously not enough to launch a a media campaign. Um, you know, come you know, come next fall. I mean, clearly they're going to be depending on. The Democratic Governors Association, et cetera, to go to wage any campaign against DeSantis. But if it's going to be a hundred million to ten, you know, come October, I think that the smart people in D.C. and so forth are going to take a strong look. So I'm still I'm worried about the the I'm worried for him about the fundraising. I think he has smartly stayed out of the way. I agree with you on Nikki, like um, her, you know. She has she has taken advantage of this providing, you know, and it, it's 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 still very Nikki. There's there's, you know, one step back every five steps forward. There's there'll be a little thing where she, 
you know, misquoted CDC data, or she, you know, like she said something like, you know, they're not reporting this, but they are. And, you know, she'll overextend herself um, and then get into a back and forth with the governor's office and DeSantis. So there's still, there's still a lot of nickiness to it. She still has not filed her, uh, you know, her financial disclosures. We're going, I think, into day 40 of her not filing her financial disclosures, which is probably her biggest vulnerability, I think, politically, is, you know, all of the, just the, I don't want to say scandal, but just all the questions about her money. It's something that she's amended several times and is, has kind of owned up to, but it's, it's so, um, you know, right now, I think the, the, I think the forecast markets, like predicted, have it exactly correct. Um, they, they moved significantly this last week, and it was a really nice opportunity for people if you wanted to make a little money. Charlie Chris was trading at nine cents. Um, you know, uh, uh, if somebody wins an election, it pays off at a dollar. So he was trading at nine cents. He's now trading somewhere around 17 cents. So you were able to double up your money. And Ron DeSantis was trading in the high 80s and is now um, trading at 70. So if you rightly shorted DeSantis as as I did, not because I don't think DeSantis is going to win, but I don't pay him. I think that the race will get significantly tighter. And so that number will move down. And then Nikki is somewhere around, um, you know, she was at like six cents and she's now at 13 cents. And I think, I think the forecast markets have it about right that DeSantis is probably a, a 70% chance of winning reelection, but I don't think that he's any longer. Um, and I, I put it down. I thought Charlie Chris had a five to seven percent chance of winning you know, two months ago, I'd now put him at probably, I'd probably put him at five or six to one chance of winning um, the governor's race. Yeah, no, I, I listen, I think that uh, we'll have to see how it all, how it all comes out. I mean, it's, it's way too early to tell. Uh, but like I said, if- Wait a second. I mean, are you just gonna, you're not gonna close the show with, with trite metaphor bullshit like that. I mean, you're smarter than that. Did you just say it's way too early? And it's, I mean, you, 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 come on. I mean, you know, what are you going to say now? The, Fine, only the, ra the race, hold on. I'm going to, the race is baked. It's done. The race is baked. It's over. The only poll that matters is the one on election day. By the uh, way, by the way, as it turns out, those polls don't even matter. <laughs> That's true. All right. Uh, any last uh, thoughts? Yeah. I mean, listen, obviously, uh, you know, you, you, yes, you I have lots of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have lots of last thoughts. You lived it. Look, you, you lived it, Peter, um, you know, in, in a different perspective, but obviously, you know, we're praying for all those people that are in the hospital with, with COVID We're we're obviously, you know, especially families that have younger kids that are in the hospital, which is not, which is not something we saw a lot with alpha and we're seeing a lot more with Delta. So, um, you know, that is something that uh, is, in, is in my mind. And I'm hoping that the first couple of weeks of school are, are uneventful. That's, that's where my anxiety is at the moment. Uh, my closing thoughts on Delta are, um, Delta Force is an underrated Chuck Norris movie. Um, there is a huge cast. He tried to pull off like kind of a dirty dozen uh, thing going on there. I think it may be my favorite Chuck Norris movie um, I can't not think of Delta, uh, force the movie. When I think, when I hear the word Delta, uh, my wife is a tri Delta also. So it's like Delta is just such a, just such an omnipresent word. Um, so on, on that note, um, I'm Peter Schorsch, uh, that's Jared Moskowitz. Uh, thank you for listening to this edition of 
state of emergency. We will be back next week. We promise we will line up a good guest. It'll, it'll be and, shorter. It'll be much shorter. We had a lot to get into this episode. It, I promise you it won't be shorter knowing Jared. Um, Jared, good luck on your colonoscopy tomorrow. Thank you. I look forward to the conversation with the doctor. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>